that uh, go ahead and turn to John 20. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. That'll be our first text this morning. Chris and I had one of the most interesting discussions uh, that only car guys would have uh, during our greet your neighbor. He asked me, John, did you get a new car cover? As you know, I'm the only nut in the parking lot that covers his car for an hour and a half. Uh, all kinds of reasons behind that, but he noticed it was a darker color. And he shared this experience he had online buying a car cover for his car at home. And uh, he had looked at it in the picture, and it looked just to be the type that he had previously ordered, which is the type I had previously ordered, too. I knew exactly what he's talking about. But the company he used sent him something different. And he didn't even have to take it out of the shrink wrap to notice that this is not the material in the picture that I was shown online. And apparently that car cover company had just kind of adapted a picture. And he called them and they take it back but didn't want to pay the shipping and had the credit card company get involved and everything to make it right. But basically he was misled. And I've seen this before because there's this popular material that doesn't, or is not made anymore, but companies would like to make you think that's what you're going to get with people that don't know the difference. Well, you're not going to get anything by Chris, and most of the time you're not going to get anything by me when it comes to cars. But he really had the sense of being misled. And if you've ever felt misled by when you've ordered something on Amazon or through any online company, and they showed a picture, and you looked at the video perhaps, but you got it, and you can tell, hey, this is not what I expected. Are you happy or are you disappointed? You're disappointed. You feel like you were let down because someone tried to communicate something as being the truth about something that was important to you to order, but it turned out what you got was not the case. And Chris, will you ever order for that company again? No. No, he won't. So I'm going to direct him to the company I use. We already talked about it. But it's funny. Once someone misleads you or gives you a false understanding of something, you tend not to want to go back to that person or even what they are promoting because you felt like you were misled. And uh, I want to use that to kind of illustrate what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk today and uh, next week in the last two lessons on this sermon series I started a couple months ago called Seeing the Unseen, Understanding the Supernatural in Scripture. We want to understand biblically things that we read about in Scripture that happen that clearly are beyond anything natural. Uh, we looked at Satan, we looked at his activity, we looked at demons, we looked at angels, simply to try to not uh, have some fanciful, non-biblical understanding, but instead understand what God is trying to tell us through these supernatural forces or actions in our world. But probably miracles are the most powerful examples of God working in the world as recorded in Scripture. But miracles are one of those things that probably have a lot of misunderstanding that go along with it, and a lot of times it's because of believers not quite understanding what the Bible says about what miracles are, and a lot of things are described as miracles that really are not, and people find out, and kind of like Chris felt when he was misled about his car cover, I just want to send it back, and I don't really want to order from you anymore. We never want to mislead people spiritually, nor do we ever want to dis diminish what God says about something in Scripture. So we just want to have the biblical understanding of what is a very popular thing. Uh, miracles are like Christmas. It's something that the world says, okay, 
We, we like this, or prayer. No one turns down you praying for them. Uh, people like hearing about miracles. People like Christmas. There are things, but they're all three things that need strong biblical understandings to support them. So this morning, establishing a biblical interpretation of God's work in our world is what we want to do. Because miracles are God's work, but we just want to understand uh, God's work to make sure we don't mislead someone. Um, I want to talk about the, this, how serious a problem this is by taking a look at how the word miracle is used in different ways. Uh, old school movie years ago, Miracle on 34th Street. I've never seen that. It's an old black and white, but apparently something happened on 34th Street uh, in New York, and it was considered a miracle and turned into a beautiful movie, things like that. But as I grew up, I also connected the word miracle to what my mom prepared us all the time, miracle whip. Uh, I learned later in life that mayonnaise was too expensive. Miracle whip was the less expensive alternative, but it was a miracle. It was a miracle whip. And uh, so I had to like it. So it was put on my bologna sandwiches and, and other things that need a little help. Uh, then you see at times in a nursery, miracle grow plant food. So if your plants are not growing naturally, you can add this miracle grow product uh, to your plants. And I think it works. It's been around for a long time. It's a nutrient of some kind. This was the one I had the most fun with. If you know your old school music, Barry Manilow, a lot of many famous songs. But one of his most famous songs was It's a Miracle. And you want to remember the words a little bit? True blue spectacle, but the miracle is you. And he's talking about this relationship and this person he met and how wonderful she is. And, and he says, the miracle is you. And clearly the word miracle is being used in a lot of context that are not miraculous. Just because someone comes into your life that you are infatuated with for a few days doesn't mean they're a miracle of God. But clearly that word is being used in, in a way that's important to others. The real problem is when you see TV preachers promising um, if you'll dial in, if, especially if you contribute, that God will send a miracle to you, or he'll send, uh, maybe this preacher will send you some miracle water that you can put on your knee, or you can put on a sore, or other part of your body you can, and bring healing. So clearly there's a lot of different directions people go with the biblical word miracle that are clearly not, un, or not healthy ways and diminish from what we want to see biblically about miracles. So here are some problems. So we want to make sure we understand as believers that believe in following the Bible, that we understand what miracles are. All right, so here we go. I want to break it down into two primary thoughts. If you're trying to get a handle on miracles in the Bible and understand them as God wants you to, here's the two thoughts. Number one, in times past, God has worked demonstrably and powerfully. In times past, God has worked demonstrably and powerfully. First of all, in times past, I want to, we're going to look back as in the Bible, which is past history, God has worked very demonstrably. And what I mean by demonstrably is very openly. He has performed things by His mighty power that were done in front of people that believed in Him and in people that did not. And probably the most notable scene is the ten plagues upon Egypt, 
where not only the Hebrew slaves saw those miracles being performed on Egypt, they were able to escape the punishing nature of the miracle, and the plague was simply upon Egypt itself. Uh, the parting of the Red Sea that was captured so powerfully by Cecil B. DeMille in the Ten Commandments is one of the most famous and clearest examples of God's power being exercised in front of believers and non-believers. So demonstrably means out in the open. Everyone can see it. People that are critics as well as people that are inclined to believe, they see it. And they cannot deny that wow, something supernatural just happened. Pharaoh tried denying it multiple times, going back to his original understanding of resistance, but it took 10, and he got the message and he let the people go, though he still chased after him afterwards. So demonstrably is uh, something that God has done powerfully in front of others. And powerfully means he's exercised his creative power as God in a way that cannot be duplicated. Uh, remember, the magicians of Egypt tried duplicating uh, Moses turning his rod into a snake and things like that, but pretty soon they threw their hands up and said, this is nothing other than the power of God, they said. God did things that only God can do in Scripture. And even though we might have a hard time understanding them and how they can be done, and, and atheists say, ah, there's no way they could be done. If you believe in an all-powerful God that says, mighty God, as Vicky put on the back, mighty God, if you believe in an all-powerful God, our God does this kind of stuff. He created a world. He can certainly part a sea or heal someone that's been lame all their life. I have no problem with the idea of God working in these powerful ways. And he has done so in the past. There are actually three words to describe this demonstrable power of God. The word signs, the word wonders, and miracles. Many times uh, you'll see uh, all three of them together, oftentimes maybe just signs and wonders together, other times miracles. Here's just an example of a reference of this. John writes after recording eight major miracles in the life of Jesus. He says in verse 30 of chapter 20, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe, and that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What we find here, and we're going to walk through these scriptures very quickly, but a description of the purpose of miracles is being given in these scriptures. They're going to help us understand what is a miracle and what is not a miracle and kind of make sure that we're telling others and we have the right understanding what is true about how God works. Here John says there's many other signs, not only the ones he wrote, but there's other signs, which is another word for miracles, that are written in this work, uh, book, uh, not recorded, but these are written, he says, verse 31, that you might believe. He says, these things were recorded that you might believe. Miracles were never done just to impress people. They weren't like a Las Vegas magic show where woo, the rabbits came out of the hat or the person was sawn in sun. Oh, how did that happen? And I, that was not a miracle. A miracle was when God intervened against the forces of nature and did something powerful, but for a purpose. Not to impress, not to entertain, but to provoke belief on the part of non-believers that were resistant to him 
or strengthen the belief of people that already believed. Miracles were either to establish belief of critics and those resisting God or to confirm the belief of those who were already at a point of faith. They were not just done to entertain or anything else. He says, these things are written that you might believe. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4. Here the writer of Hebrews is referring back to the miracles that Jesus performed, miracles done in the early church. And he writes in verse 3, How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation which was announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So here the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, how can we turn our back on this salvation that was confirmed by those who heard Him? He says, God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles. The problem with the Hebrew Christians is that they were tempted to go back to a state of non-belief. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't go back. You were shown evidence of God's power and that these people were speaking from God with these signs and wonders and miracles that proved that they were speaking as a representative of God. How could we go back, he says. But he points out the purpose of miracles. They weren't to impress, they weren't to entertain, but they were to give credibility to the speaker. Whether it be Jesus himself or the Apostle Peter or Paul, that when they did this, they were speaking from God. It made people listen. Because they knew no one else could do this except someone who had come from God. And remember Nicodemus, when he came to Jesus by night, he says no one could do these things except they be a person from God. That was the purpose of miracles. So here we find John 20 giving that purpose, Hebrews chapter 2. Let's look at a few others. Uh, Acts chapter 2. Let's go backwards a little bit. These are key texts that clear the air concerning what is a miracle and its purpose. Here Peter, in the very first gospel sermon, he tells people who had seen the miracles of Jesus. He says, people of Israel, verse 22, Acts 2. People of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited, accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This along with Hebrews 2 is probably the most powerful text that tells us exactly the purpose of miracles. Let's go back into the verse. First of all, he says, people of Israel. Peter, Peter is preaching to people who had actually been either eyewitnesses to the arrest of Jesus, his crucifixion, or actually participated on some level. Because later they're going to be the ones cut to the heart and ask, what shall we do? So these critics are here, and also people that might be inclined to believe. He says, people of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man what? Accredited by God. Accredited, uh, like with a college, it has to be accredited. It has to have its degrees legitimized and there's state and federal agencies that do that. Or else it's, it's not really a legitimate college. High schools need to be accredited. We're going through an accreditation process right now as a local high school. Accredited by God 
to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. In other words, Peter's saying here, you know the people speaking to you, including Jesus, were from God because of what they did and no one else could do it. Signs, wonders, and miracles, which God did among you, that is demonstrable in front of everyone, as you yourselves know. Here Peter knew they'd seen the miracles. They weren't all these private things that people had to wonder whether or not it happened or not. But the purpose was to give accreditation to the speaker. That's why the miracles were performed. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 13. Many miracles happened in the early chapters of the book of Acts, but we find some commentary statements given by Luke, who wrote Acts, about what is happening. Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 12. Uh, Jay, you'll appreciate this one, because this goes back to your sermon on Simon, and someone who had done a lot of magic, and he'd been a charlatan, but when he saw the real thing, he believed. Uh, verse 12, Acts 8, But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Verse 13 now. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Remember, he was like a, a Las Vegas charlatan magician. That he saw the real thing. And he not only was he believed, he was baptized. Uh, he had trouble afterwards, as Jay well brought out. But here he knows the true thing. He was astonished by seeing real demonstrable acts that could not be explained being performed by the apostles. He was astonished by the great signs and miracles. And that's exactly their purpose to create belief on the part of critics. He said, there's no way I'm going to believe this guy. There was no Bible at that time. And critics said, I'm not going to believe it. But when they saw that person do something, that was God's way of convincing someone that that person is truly speaking from God. Chapter 14, verse 3. Acts 14, verse 3. Another kind of commentary statement. Luke writes, when Paul and Barnabas go to Iconium, Luke writes verse 3, So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message, who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Once again, we have this pattern of truth that the purpose of miracles, or sometimes they were called signs and wonders, kind of, Words that kind of emphasize different things about what was happening. It says they were done to confirm what? The spoken message. The spoken message of God. And that person that was doing the speaking. One more. Romans 15, 17 through 19. Here in one of the epistles, the Apostle Paul writes about what the Romans had seen before their conversion. He says, verse 17 of Romans 15, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said, verse 18, and done. Then verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders through the power 
of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem all the way around Erechilium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. So he says there, I was empowered to preach the truth of God and people obey God based on what I said and what I did. He says, by the power of signs and wonders that the Spirit of God enabled me to do. So as Paul and Peter and other apostles went around to different uh, Jewish cities, but also Greek and Roman cities, they were enabled to do miracles by God, which brought credibility to their message. It made people listen. didn't make them believe. There's some that sneered at it and they walked away. The people that were inclined towards accepting the truth, they saw it. There's something here. We need to keep listening. Simon was one of those. Many of the believers were ones that knew when they saw something real that could not be explained by any sleight of hand or any smoke and mirrors like they were used to seeing. They had smoke and mirrors back then. And these miracles were obvious to all witnesses. You don't read in the Bible about miracles that happened behind a tree. (laughs) Only one person saw it. Like, oh man. Or happened behind a mountain and only one person saw it. There are some things that were done only with a certain group. But most miracles were right out in front. Whether it be the plagues upon Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the things that Jesus did right in front of his critics as well as his followers. But an essential truth to grasp is that these miracles were done in times past. And this is the most challenging part for us as believers. Because as believers, we want to believe that God is still doing these great things today. And I'm not in any way trying to say He can't or He won't. But the issue is kind of our pivotal point as we go on to our next thought is, is He still doing these things? And there are many religious groups that believe he is. And late night TV evangelists will call upon you to, to get your miracle. You need to get your miracle water. And, uh, and on one level I say, hey, I appreciate someone believing in miracles or at least having a biblical inclination. But then I go back to these scriptures and I go back to looking at the purpose of miracles. It was during the time before scripture was completed. It was during a time where people were dependent upon the credibility of the speaker. And God enabled miracles to happen so that the speaker might be seen as from God and people would respond. And do we have that need today? We don't. We have God's completed, revealed, spoken word that is his final truth. And that need for affirming the credibility of the speaker is no longer there. What's interesting, too, about miracles is a lot of times people think, well, they're all over the Bible. They happen all the time. Every 60, all the 66 books have, have miracles all the time. If you look closely at Scripture, you'll find miracles only happening in four distinct cluster periods. One, the deliverance of Israel from Egypt, the ten plagues, parting of the Red Sea, uh, Moses' staff turning into a snake, Cluster of miracles all together. In fact, in Exodus it says these were done to show God's power against the gods of Egypt. Egypt had all kinds of beliefs about God and things like that. They saw the one true God. Then there's not a whole lot of miracles. Or at least anything called a miracle. 
Then all of a sudden you have another cluster of miracles during the times of the prophet Elijah and Elisha. This was during a time of the divided kingdom where Israel was being torn and attracted to the false god Baal, the male god Baal, and then the female counterpart, the Ashtara. And a lot of the people of Israel were torn on who, who to really believe. So God does all these miracles through his prophets Elijah and Elisha to show this is the one you ought to follow. This is the person you ought to listen to. Then you see a lot of miracles during the last three years of Jesus' life. Remember, we, we know about his birth. We know uh, a few things about up to age 12, then nothing till age 30. Then his death is about age 33. But it's during a three-year period you see Jesus doing all kinds of miracles, purposely, demonstrably, to show his own credibility, especially his power over Satan. And demons being cast out, people being brought to life. Then in the beginning of the church, you see miracles performed by the apostles. You see miracles talked about in the book of 1 Corinthians, where even believers were given the ability to speak in other languages, called speaking in tongues, or to have an interpretation of what someone had been revealed directly to by God or spoken to directly by God. Again, because he did not have a complete written word like we have. But miracles did not happen all the time. And we're not something where people just went around snapping their fingers, doing miracles, and wow, they're just all over the place. They're really not. They're in these distinct periods of time. Well, what do we do with that then? In our remaining moments, after we've done kind of some corrective thought to make sure we have a right understanding about miracles, here's our next step. We're ready for the next step. Understand that today, God works silently but powerfully through your prayers and His providence. A lot of times people get frustrated when they encounter the biblical truth about miracles because they want to believe that God still does miracles and they've been telling their friends Oh, that was a miracle. And, <clears throat> and people talk about miracles. I was watching Shark Tank last night with Elise and the guy Kevin on the show, he, there was some product that worked really well. And he goes, oh, it's a Christmas miracle. And I go, there's the point. Everybody wants to see everything as a miracle. And I don't want to take that away from people. I don't want to be the Scrooge of miracles. But I think if we go back and try to get a biblical understanding, we're going to see our God is powerfully working today, just not through ways he used to work in the past for a very certain reason. He works silently today, but powerfully through your prayers and providence. Well, initially, silently sounds, well, that doesn't sound very good. Well, as a teacher, I found that silence with my students is more powerful than anything I can do. Just looking up at a student. I'm going to give you the glaze, Mary Gail. I do, to, I do that to a student for five to 10 seconds. It's more effective than any theatrics I do as a teacher, threatening to send to the dean. I'm not going to turn their desk upside down. I'll get, I can just look silently as I'm looking at Mary Gale and the death stare, veteran teachers call it. Am I working? Absolutely. Silent? Absolutely. Powerfully? Absolutely. Something does not have to be demonstrable to be powerful. The most effective parents many times just look across the table at their kids at a restaurant and the behavior corrects quite quickly. Those that are talking a big talk and a lot of show really have no control and you see it the whole meal.
But the look, the glance of the parent is a powerful work. And that's how God works today. Um, he will answer prayers based on his knowledge and will for a situation. The 13th chapter of the Corinthian letter indicates that the period of miracles was going to come to an end. When God's completed revelation would come together. Faith and love and hope would continue. Those three gifts still continue. But God still works. We are told repeatedly to pray. And look at an example. Look at Romans 15. You're probably already there if you've been looking at these scriptures. The Apostle Paul, we're going to look at Romans 15, verse 30. I want you to remember as I read this, the Apostle Paul had the ability to do miracles. In Acts 20, when a young man fell from uh, an open window because the sermon went on too long, he fell to the ground, the uh, Apostle Paul went down there, laid on top of him, and he was brought back to life. Paul could perform miracles, but notice what he asked Christians to do. Verse 30, Romans 15. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by what? By praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. Is Paul saying, hey, ask for a miracle that I might get safely down there to Jerusalem with the gift and ask for miracles so that no one beats me up on the way. Does he ask for a miracle? No. He doesn't even say I'm going to do a lot of miracles to keep myself safe when I get down there. What does he do instead? He asks for believers to Pray. You guys, you guys are on it. He asked to pray for me. He says, he says, join me in my struggle by praying. That was the way God would work. Through prayers offered to God and then letting God take care of things on his end. God didn't say, well, here's what I'm going to do when you take a left turn there in Jerusalem. I'm going to be right there with an angel. God never said that. Paul just had to trust that God would work it out. And that's, that's God's providence. Our part is prayer. We take our needs to God in prayer and his providence, providence goes to the word provide. I'm part of a credit union called Provident. Uh, they take care of my money. <laughs> uh, but providence, the root word is provide. God provides, but he doesn't always tell us how. He's not always going to create some big explosion in the street or 20 police to show up at any moment where we're in danger, he will just take care of things. And that's what Paul understands. Again, he says, pray that I might be kept safe from the unbelievers. He doesn't tell God how to do it, just pray that that might happen. And he wants to make sure the contributions stay safe. Make sure this money actually arrives, so pray for that. And that it might be favorably received. And then he adds this, verse 32, so that by God's will... I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. When he talks about God's will, he's talking about what God knows that is best for a situation. Though we don't always know. Sometimes we struggle with employment. Person, you know the struggle. Knowing, not knowing exactly what God has in mind. And going through a job search is the most difficult thing you'll ever go through many times. 
apart from serious health problems or grief and loss. Because your whole person is put on the line about what your value is, how others see you as valuable, and being turned down in an interview or an application is devastating. But to believe that God's will is, well, maybe I should be somewhere else. Maybe I just need to keep applying and there's something better down the road. And His will is that I take another job. That's, that's a position of faith. For someone who thought a relationship would work out and to recognize that wasn't God's will, that I'd be with that person. I'm going to have to believe His will has someone else for me or His will is that I live a powerful single life and that's trusting that God knows best when we don't. And our prayers work together with His will, and He will work things out in our lives. We won't see big miracles done at 3.30 in the afternoon on Tuesday, or we won't see, uh, if you're wanting a relationship, someone to show up in white clothes, and, oh, this, I'm from God, this is, uh, I'm the one you're to marry. Uh, you will not see that. But you'll see things just work out things that you were fearful about, anxious about, when you've turned those things over to God in prayer, as Paul is doing here. I'm turning my protection, I'm turning the safety of this contribution over to God in prayer. But he says, you struggle with me in prayer. Because Paul understands that is the primary way God works. He did miracles, signs, and wonders to confirm a speaker, but not everything is confirming the speaker in Scripture. Paul here just wants protection. He wants to make sure this money arrives safely, and he wants to make sure that it's received gladly by the believers. And he believes by prayer and simply God's providence. God will work it out. Amen. It'll happen. That doesn't, that, that's not a miracle. God just works it out by his providence. And that's where God's attention, energy, and focus is today. We do our part by praying. He does his part by providence. Let's look at one last, text, one last text, 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we want to see patterns. When we see patterns in Scripture, repeated teachings, we know we're on to something. And here in 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul again, who could do miracles, the power of God resided within him, to do miracles instead calls upon other things to work in his life. Verse 9, chapter 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9. Notice what he tells the Thessalonian believers about what's important. And he'll talk about prayer and uncertain things. He doesn't really know how, we'll turn out, how they'll turn out. He says, verse 9, How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Verse 10, Night and day. We pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Verse 11, Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Let's back up and look what Paul is asking for. First of all, verse 10. He's praying night and day so that he might what? Get a miracle? No, he's praying night and day that he simply will see them again. Paul wants to reconnect to these believers. He's 
invested in with the gospel. So he's praying night and day to see them again and supply what is lacking in your faith. He wants to be back together with them to, to engage in teaching and fellowship and encouragement. Well, how's that going to happen? Can he snap his fingers and just miraculously be transported back there? He could if that was God's will for miracles, but that's not God's will for miracles. Miracles confirm the word. He's asking for prayer, and he says, I've been praying night and day. But notice his language, verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. I love that phrase, because that's exactly what we're doing in prayer. We're asking God to use his power to clear a way for us. Maybe you're dealing with financial hardship right now that no one else really knows about. You can pray, Lord, please clear the way out of this situation. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know exactly the best way to solve this problem. But Lord, through my prayers, please clear the way. Uh, maybe you're having relationship difficulties with people you work with, and there's just a butting of heads and closing of doors and a cut off of communication that's just making work very difficult for you right now. And you don't know what the answer is. Your prayer could be exactly what Paul is praying for. Lord, clear the way for us. What you're doing is not asking God to do a miracle. You're asking God simply to work. Because God still works today. It's not like he doesn't work just because he doesn't do miracles. He just works differently. Just like me as a teacher, I don't shout and yell from the classroom. And I don't throw things. I just give the stare. I work silently but effectively. Much of what God does today is behind the scenes. He powerfully works in the situations of our lives. He already knows what our problems are. He knows what the struggle is. He's aware of all of it. But He works in ways He doesn't tell us about. He works in ways we don't always see, but things just work out. When you trust and you obey God. You don't have to have a miracle. You don't need to order miracle water off of the television. You don't need to tell someone, oh, you need to look for your miracle. You just embrace someone's hand and say, God, through our prayers, let's pray right now. And I don't know what he's going to do, but let's just pray together that God will clear away through this painful circumstance in your life. And tell that person that wants a miracle, say, I know God will work in some way. I don't know how. But my God works today. I don't want to overpromise, like with the car cover thing, and tell, oh, God's going to do a miracle on Friday. Look for it. You don't want to do that with somebody. Instead, you allow them to trust in God by faith and obedience. Five applications real quick, and then we're done. To affirm everything we've talked about. First of all, don't expect a miracle in your life. God's purpose with miracles is very specific, and he's accomplished that purpose in the past. So don't look for miracles. Don't promise a miracle to someone. Even though you want to say something encouraging to them, don't set them up for something where they get something in the mail that's not what they were looking for. Where'd that miracle? I thought I was going to get a miracle. Because they're not going to come back to you again if you give them a false promise. They're not going to be very interested in the Christian faith if you promise something and you don't deliver. So 
So the best thing is don't promise something that God's not doing. But do expect God to work in your life, because He does work. He accomplishes His will. He clears the way, as Paul said. He provides a way in His own will to accomplish what is best in your life, relationship-wise, financially, overcoming hardship, getting through age transition, whatever it is, He will get you through it in His own way. Do expect God to work in the lives of others. Do pray with people about circumstances. Do tell them that God will work out these things, but I don't know how, but... Let's pray that he will in his own best way. And especially do expect God to work in unseen ways. He worked in very demonstrable ways to get the attention of rebellious people and to encourage believers at times in the first century. But most of what God does today is unseen. And what he may do that is seen, we can't always attribute to Him. But we do know that God works. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just God works different ways, just like teachers do, just like parents do. Our God who created us does. And may we be strengthened in our trust and our obedience. Remember, we walk by faith, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, and not by sight. Exactly, Ricardo, and everyone else. Don't think you've got to see something to know that your God is working great things in your life. We walk by faith and not by sight. Just a moment, we're going to sing a song that will encourage us to walk by faith, to be strengthened in the power of an almighty God that is alive and well in our lives, working out as eternal purpose of salvation bringing us to himself that's his number one priority bringing us to himself in eternity one day but he also works in our daily lives to get us through this pilgrimage that can be awfully rough and difficult at times he will see us through as we trust in him to provide what we need this morning if you need to provide your trust to him you need to give him your life and trust and obedience don't Hold back on that decision. Been wavering and been listening to other voices and following other things that have no credibility. Change that. And learn to depend upon God and God alone for your sustenance and believe what He's already said. And believe that He will work things out in His own providence.